0: The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control? In this first season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on challenges for businesses right now and practical steps that you can take to overcome them. We've also got some awesome tips from our guests about what they are personally doing to keep their money in check. Finesse Your Money is hosted by me, Janine Wilson. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, more years than I care to say, and I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Welcome to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson and my guest today is Hunter Leonard. Hunter is the CEO, uh, that's Chief Experience Officer of both Silver and Wise and Blue Frog Marketing. His passion is to help mature-aged business owners who are currently running a business or looking to start a new one flourish and prosper. Welcome, Hunter.
1: Hey, Janine. Nice to see you.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. You have said that um, you're the founder and CEO of Silver and Wise and Blue Frog Marketing. You've also said that you're an ageism activist. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So I started out being a mature age advocate, but um, I realised that it probably was going to take a little bit more, as Glenn Carlson says, poking the bear. So I actually changed that term to activist, which means that really I'm for positive positive uh, uh, respect for all ages Um, although we have a specific focus on mature age which is where a lot of ageism occurs and I'm active out there pushing the message that it's not okay and that we need to find some solutions to keep that particular part of our workforce and business ownership group active and productive in the economy.
0: Well I think you know there's a couple of points there one you know, we're all living longer and so it's not unreasonable to think that some segments of the community can actually work longer and enjoy doing so. And secondly, in this current crisis that we're going through with this COVID pandemic, it's really uh, front of mind for me that many, many people will lose their jobs and certainly some more mature workers. We know it's much harder for those people to get back into work and therefore that might lead on to some business opportunities in them, you know, starting a business. So, you know, no. I think it's a, it's probably a time where people are a bit worried about things and looking for what's next for them, um, and so I think you know it's it's a great um, thing that you're out there blowing the trumpet of activism. Is that is that what you oh, are say? Oh, thank you.
1: Yes, and just to prove the point, I have uh, <laughs> made some "Let's End Ageism" bracelets, <laughs> well, which I. Which I'll send you one.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I I was going to say, give me two. (laughs) Um, My husband um, has been in and out of work over the years. I mean, he always seems to be able to get a job, but there have been times, you know, he's a few years older than me and there certainly have been times where it's been more difficult to get work. I mean, I think now I sort of have a sense that it's maybe even from 40 years old onwards.
1: Yeah, well, look, I think you're probably right. It is in that sort of mid forties one. Um, there's a bit of a disconnect too, and and this is kind of a, an ageism and sexism bit. Is that women seem to actually experience ageism almost a decade earlier. So they're probably more like at forty, whereas men might be able to, you know, last without having experienced that maybe to fifty. <laughs> but um, there's, no, there's no doubt. And your point about it it more difficult for mature age to get a job. That is absolutely the case in fact the statistics from the human rights commission say that somebody in their 50s will take twice as long to find a new job as somebody of a younger age and that could be up to two years so you can imagine the financial pressure and and other pressures that that puts on someone if they're looking for a job and they just keep running up against that wall of i'm sending the resumes i'm not getting interviews Mm. I, i can't get somebody to even acknowledge that i've applied and uh There's no doubt that it exists. So we're going to try and do our little bit towards the whole program to try and end it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for me, I I guess you're doing your job well, Hunter, um, because, well, I know you're doing your job well, Hunter, but for me, you've really sparked something in me. So I'm just hiring a couple of people into my business. They're my first hires in my business and I have looked for mature people.
1: Excellent. Well, well done. Thank you. <laughs>
0: I feel really good about it too. Good. And, you know, one of those people have been out of work for probably five years now. Wow. And so, you know, it's about giving them an opportunity to, you know, ease back into the workplace. Uh, so, it, you know, it's a perfect fit for me that they can do a couple of days a week and I need someone a couple of days a week.
1: So. Excellent. Oh, that's really good news. Well so, done.
0: Thank you. So tell us about your career and what inspired you to speak out about ageism.
1: Okay, so... Uh, the brief potted history, I'm a scientist by training. I studied at Macquarie Uni and I did a botany and land management course. I ended up then in the pharmaceutical industry as a salesperson. So they needed people with, with a, a science degree. So I ended up in sales and marketing and pharmaceuticals for nearly a decade. I then moved across to the dark side and, and became an account service director and then general manager of a healthcare advertising agency. And then I, my, my business ownership journey started when one of my clients husbands asked me for some advice on marketing and one thing led to another and he ended up off- offering me a contract to run his marketing and he became my first client and that was back in 2001 yeah. so that was uh, a business the business called Blue Frog I uh, ran I've run that for 20 years now close enough and about 5 years ago I was looking to expand Blue Frog and through some conversations with one of my mentors uh, we came on this topic of mature age workers and potentially mature age licensees of our Marketing IP. Again, one thing led to another, and I discovered that there was this enormous trend of ageism and discrimination against mature age people. And I realized that quite a number of them from that research were wanting to start businesses because they couldn't get a job. And I was sitting on this mountain of information about business owners, and we've been working with business owners for 20 years. We had something like 10,000 surveys of business owners on the challenges that they had running, the problems they ran into. Uh, we've been working; we've worked with over 500 business owners in the marketing business. And so we ended up with this new business called Silver and Wise, um, set up with that. It's a profit for purpose, if you like. So the purpose is to end ageism. The, the profit side of it is we want to deliver services that will contribute to ending ageism by providing opportunity for mature people when they either to teach them how to start a business or some of the new programs which we're looking at, which is more the transition into conti- the future of work. So how do we handle this issue of ageism? How do we provide opportunity for somebody who wants to continue to work? Mm-hmm. Um, that's So that's the next sort of part of the challenge that we're going to uh, aim for. Mm-hmm. And the reason, though, it's, to speak out, I, I hate ageism. I hate isms of any form. So I I was fortunate enough to grow up in a, in a school where my eight closest friends came from eight different cultures so I've never had a an issue of race that's just been part of my normal upbringing I've also had both female and male bosses over the years um, so I've never really had the, an issue of well one is different to the other it's just either they're a good boss or they're not <laughs> it's got nothing nothing to do whether they're male or female and then when I, I you know heard about this mature age discrimination I was thinking well this is probably the biggest of them all because everyone's going to get old at some point. So if everyone's going to suffer from this, then it becomes a massive community issue. So that's what inspired me. I've never suffered from ageism myself, but I was horrified to think that friends of mine in their 50s have not been able to get jobs because they've been discriminated against. Now I know how smart and intelligent they are and how much experience they have, and I thought that's that's awful and maybe I can do something about it.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm not certain that I've been subjected to age in per, ageism per se, but about 10 years ago I finished working for someone and I, I've been an accountant for 20 years before that um, and wanted to move into a new, slightly new occupation being the financial advice and financial planning. Mm. And so to make that transition across, I've just crickets no one would speak to me about that because I was overqualified and everything else and so for me I had to find another way so it was so it was an ism of some sort so I had to find another way into a, a practice that that would allow me in the future to become a financial advisor and yeah. so I d- had to draw on my experience to end up getting there because they wouldn't take me as a mature person. Um, into into that into that role and you know Mm -hmm. give me that couple of years you know I worked for that company for six years so it wasn't as though I jumped in and jumped out so yeah it's it's uh, it's an interesting time for people I think the other thing was that you know I think casual ageism and racism and all of those isms it's just tended to become part of everyday conversation hasn't it and you know unless you actually consciously say no hang on a minute i don't accept that then it does just it just um proliferates through the community yeah
1: that's right and look there's there's jokes about oh oh, good on your mate you know well done for an old fella or whatever else and and those sort of things do contribute to it Mm. but the the real the real problem is is this issue and i see it as is this gap is that because we're an ageing society, and you mentioned that at the start, we have people living longer, mm. which means that the old school methodology of retiring at 65 and then having maybe a 10 or 15-year retirement uh, is gone. N- now people could retire at 65 and live another 25 or maybe even 30 years. Mm. So you would know this from your financial planning background. Very few people ever retire, you know, they're not. they're not financially ready to retire at 65, let alone at 50. So if we if we end up with this gap of the government saying we have to lift the retirement age maybe to 66 or 67, well, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, that's fiddling around the edges because the big issue we have is the corporates don't want to employ over 50, which yes. means we've yeah. got a 15 or 16 or 17-year gap between when they want to employ people and when the government wants us to retire, and that's too big.
0: Oh, it is. It's a massive gap. And, you know, so many Australians don't get advice and so they aren't prepared. Um, People talk about retiring early and having financial freedom, but so few of us um, achieve that. And so Mm -hmm. there is a big gap between being highly employable and the retirement age, as you said, the government, and then typically a woman in their 50s is going to live till their late 80s. So that's a long time to support yourself financially. And, you know, keep an active mind. So I often talk to my clients about what's next for them. And if, you know, most of them are experts of some sort in their field. And so, you know, can you write a book or, you know, create some educational content or get on the speaking circuit? Or, you know, I think in days gone by, there were so few jobs on boards that, you know, people wanted to aspire to be on a board position. But now there's so many different types of opportunities that you can create yourself
1: yeah, and it is part of it's having a plan. I mean, it, as important as you would take to your clients about having a financial plan, it's absolutely important to have a to have a well thought out plan for yourself that goes beyond the finance. It's not just that. It's about what do you want to do? If you're going to be healthy into your 70s and 80s, how are you going to occupy your mind? No one wants to sit down in a chair and watch TV all day or play golf four, four times a week. That's That <laughs> doesn't happen anymore.
0: <laughs> so I have a perfect example of that, Hunter. A, a very nice family. Um, the old and mature family members were um, exiting the business and the younger family members were succeeding them in that. And... Mm the older, mature people had come in every day and it's a bit like that cartoon where they carry in their lunch pail and um, a <laughs> sheep dog that, that, you know, Bundy's on and cares for the sheep. And and I remember having this distinct conversation with what are you going to do next? And there was just no concept of how would fill the days and remain mm. active because so many people identify and particularly this um, person identified with their workers, you know, who they are. And so yeah. having that sort of education and, and getting the mind rolling around that so people start to formulate, well, what's next, is just vitally important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. Anyway, Absolutely.
0: so what should older Australians um that have lost their jobs during this current pandemic be thinking of, about or planning right now um, to get through the tough times and, and, you know, have a bright, happy future?
1: Yeah, sure. So, look, there's... Two parts to this, I think. The first is um, coping with the short term, and I, I think, love them or hate them. I think the government's doing a great job to try and find ways of supporting everyone in the community. So they're, that's right. They're, they're upping, you know, social security. They're putting in short term, short term plans to give people at least some money that they can, they can live with. So, given that those things are handled, my best advice to anyone would be, would be to be sitting down and taking any. Extra spare time they have from not having to travel to work, and putting that and putting that into planning. Yeah. Uh, so be thinking about all of the aspects of their life um, that they need to. Of course, that's financial. I'm not a financial advisor, but I'd say be saying, look at the finances. You know, what do you think you're going to need? Uh, what have you got that's sitting there that you're not using? Assets and things that you might realise. Do you want to start a business? Are you actually continuing wanting to continue to work? What are your passions? All of these aspects. I'd be, I would be writing my plan, and I'd be working out what an ideal future looks like for me, um, and I'd be putting that in place and taking the chance now while I've while I've got the time to do it, mm. because as soon as everything sort of blows over, this short term, it is going to be short to medium term pain, of course, for everyone. But as soon as that we get past that, the better planned people are, the better the chance they have of of then finding the job that they want to do. Or creating the job that they want to do (laughs) uh, which is a bit uh, and creating the job you want to do is kind of like the halfway point to starting a business is is there are are ways to create jobs for yourself Um, and that might be working with five other people instead of one client or one business but I'd be doing the planning and I'd be putting in as much action as I could to be happy with what my future looks like because if you could continue focusing on the the present you're just going to get 99% of the messages you receive being about the coronavirus. And let's face it, it's a tiny bug. um, And, it shouldn't be. It,
0: it will pass. Over our
1: life, <laughs> we're supposed to be the we're supposed to be the smartest and highly highest evolved life on the planet. I think we should be able to outplan a virus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true, and I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Hunter. There, yeah. you know, I'm I'm telling people use this time to your best advantage. Look at your costs. Look at you know your budget. Look at your finances and and all things associated with that. But get ready for what's next. So do some planning around you know, what le- work looks like, what business looks like, all of those things to just be, or even if you're thinking about investing, if you've got some spare cash, you know, when the time's right, what are you going to do with it? So just plan now so that you're ready when the when you see that the time and the opportunity is there because yeah, as you exactly. say, this, this will end and, you know, we don't know. No-one's got a crystal ball. Will it be three months, six months or 12 months? Who knows? No. But those people who are ready will succeed ahead of, you know, or be well ahead in the in the line than than those that haven't. Yeah, totally. So have you done anything to change up your business since all of this started? And um, you know, what, what have you done in that regard, if if anything, and you know, what are you doing behind the scenes to make sure that your business is successful moving yeah. into the future?
1: Planning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Funny that. <laughs> uh, I haven't I haven't really pivoted the business because I've actually had a home office for 15 years. So whilst I spent a lot of time out with clients, and we've had work offices as well, but probably at least for the last five years, we've had nothing but a home office and client offices. So for me, I miss seeing some of my clients face to face, but a lot of the conversations have obviously moved to online, um, whether it be phone or Zoom or whatever else, like everyone everyone else. But I have doubled down on the planning. So I've I've looked at my entire business. I've done it done full, a full understanding of what our position is in terms of cash flow. Mm-hmm. I've had a few clients that have had to pause work with us but want to restart when we when we get going again. But I, I can't uh, sort of leave my future in their hands. I have to work out my plan. So I've done full, full cash position analysis on the business. Uh, I've taken the time to get on to the next stage projects like writing my next book. Yeah. creating creating the next range of services, doing the research on that. So I'm putting in everything I can to cope short-term like everyone else, but I am actually spending a lot of my time servicing my existing clients but also planning for the long-term. The other thing I have done too is I've just reached out to a lot of my clients and also people that I know and just said, hey, just let me know if I can help, but nothing to do with, a financial thing, or trying to pick up new clients, or whatever. I've just said, just let me know how I can help you because I have all of these resources here. If you need that, we made all our books and courses available for free. For yes, example, yeah,
0: that was an, an, an amazing initiative.
1: So we've given away I don't know seventy copies of the book, seventy online courses. So probably ten or fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff that I would normally commercialise. I just thought, well, how can I help people? And I haven't done it with any interest in marketing to those people and selling them something down the track i've just done it because i figured hey i can so and that that (laughs) why not (laughs) anyone who can help at the moment should be helping beyond whatever they need to do to survive so uh, i think that's how we get through it together
0: yeah Yeah. i absolutely agree I, i think um interesting points you made there For me, I've been working in my home office for some time but still travelling into the city and around to different clients. So for me, it was a really easy transition as well. But I find that right now, the fact that we're isolated or supposedly more disconnected has created this situation where we're increasingly connected. Yes. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that's a good outcome from all of this and people are maybe going back to more traditional values and having more time on their hands and really thinking, you know, taking a pause and a breath and thinking about what life has meaning you know what yeah the meaning of their life yeah sure but it's actually you know there have been quite a few positives come out of it
1: yeah totally i, I look i had a call out of the blue from a, a friend of mine in melbourne the other day and he just rang up and he said look i just wanted to ring and see how you're going and it was just lovely yeah you know, like, I'm, I'm doing fine how are you you know it was yeah. just um but he said i was thinking about you and i thought i'd give you a call mm-hmm. which was just Really nice, and that probably wouldn't normally happen in the general course of things. But I think it's the first time in my lifetime, and I'm mid fifties, that I've ever seen something that's affected every human on the planet. Um, and um, you know, there's some there's some really great stuff coming at it. There's been some really silly stuff, and I think people are showing their true colors. Um, but the positives are going to outweigh the negatives, I think, for our culture. I think I think uh, Australia and other countries will find learnings from this uh, that will bond us close more closely I think as a, as a culture that everyone's actually been through it <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive about the, about the future once we get through the short term that's, that's, not, that's not discounting that there is short term pain of course there is yeah
0: uh, so if you could fast forward to the future say 6 or 12 months from now what would the world look like and what are your thoughts on how we'll come out of all of this
1: yeah so if you take, if I take a viewpoint from the, the culture or the economy of Australia, and we could probably apply that to any other country, obviously the government is going into a bit of debt to get us through this. So they're they're borrowing money and they're putting money into the economy. So the way I see us getting out of it, out of this is that every single person in Australia has to be more productive, um, because. Really, the government's spending our money, if you know what I mean. Because if, we, if, we, if we're a taxpayer, we've paid that money in the past to the government in order for them to be able to run the social purse. That's our role as a citizen. If we're able to earn good money or run a good business and pay tax, then that's our contribution to the rest of society to build roads and hospitals and all that. So the only way you get out of a situation where you've spent more money than you earned <laughs> is to is to be more productive. Um, it's not, It's not. we're not going to get out of this by having a social a social uh, security system you know, or, a, or a fallback. We're only going to get it by those people that can to be running really hard and producing. Because if we don't, we're going to end up with taxes that are going to be higher <laughs> in the end because the government has to pay for it somehow. Um, the other, just social stuff, I, I think what's interesting is I've noticed this already. I, I feel like people are starting to talk about needs being more important than wants so a lot of the fluff of life the the discretionary purchase stuff the luxury items the the stuff we don't need i mean you only have to see how many square meters of storage space we have in australia of all these places where people have got stuff that they don't need stuck in boxes it feels like people are starting to think more about a more minimalist lifestyle of the things they really need the things that are important to them which is that old uh, triangle, Maslow's hierarchy of needs—you know, yeah, food and shelter, yeah. and family, and our connections—what are what are going to be critical for people? I think people are going to be less concerned about whether they're driving a Ferrari or a Holden or a whatever. So I think there's going to be more of that. I hope, from a business perspective, that there's more planning because. Every business, if they're in it for the long term, should be putting aside money for a rainy day. And I think there's a lot of businesses that have been caught out by not having money for a rainy day. So therefore, we have to rely on the government. I'd rather be in control of my own destiny. I think I could, I'm a a planner. (laughs) That's what I do. And and even I said, I mean, no no one could anticipate this. But I think you've got to be running a business to be putting aside to cover off any eventuality
0: yeah and i mean that's just sensible approach because you need to build up that profit um you know buffer so so that you can use it when you need it or you know have control and i recommend the same thing in their in people's personal finances and you know i when i speak to people about having an emergency buffer they you know look at me quizzically you know why would you bother there's so many other options these days but you know when times like this happen i mean who's Who's going out to get a new credit card or, you know, something to carry them forward? Nobody right now. People are people of that. And so having set aside, you know, some money for an emergency, we're here. (laughs) Um,
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: Making sure that from a business or a personal perspective that you've got buffers in place to really make sure that, you know, you're going to be okay for a period of time. And you mentioned cash flow p- planning. You need to understand what you need. You know what your base level fixed costs are if you're in a business, and have a certain amount of that set aside. You know, it might be one month or three months or six months, so that you know that you've got things covered.
1: Yeah, and I think that, and that comes back to also then the point that I think there's going to be businesses the same as individuals that are going to spend less on. Let's let's use the uh, term crap more stuff yes. and, and have more cash, um, have more cash available or more reserves. And I think I think that's probably a good thing, but let, let's hope that's what happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I certainly hope so too. Yes. So what's the hardest part um, for a mature person starting a business?
1: I think it's the same for every age. Um, the hardest part is really planning and, and planning it before you launch it. Mm-hmm. There's too many. There's very high business failure rates. Everyone talks about it, but what we found in the surveys we did is the main reason businesses fail is because they haven't done their homework. Mm-hmm. So they haven't researched their customers enough to understand that they've got a value proposition that allows them to make a profitable business. So you end up know. with this. Sm-
0: Sorry, Andrew. Do you mind if I just jump in? I think um, is it ten thousand businesses you surveyed.
1: That's right. Yes. Yes, a
0: really it's,
1: probably, good it's a big survey. Yeah, yes. it's probably one of the biggest surveys ever done of small business in terms of the way they run business and what challenges they run into. So, and we find this, so if you do a, any any survey you've probably ever seen, you'll find that 80% of businesses don't have a business plan. Mm-hmm. The same is true of businesses not having a marketing plan. And having such a long career in marketing business, I know that the businesses that have a plan both business and marketing, I know they do better because they're working towards a designated future point in time and all their activities are aligned to get to that point.
0: And the same Um, is true for the personal finance. Yeah, totally, exactly. Totally succeed. Yeah.
1: So I think the biggest part of starting a business is not necessarily actually the business bit, It, It you know, running the business because if they've actually planned well and they've done enough surveys to understand there's a market for it, and, and surveys are not saying to your friends, I've got a great idea, and your friends go, oh, that's really cool. It's, it's talking to someone who could be a customer of the business and finding out how much they would pay for that product or service. And if the amount they'd pay for it is more than it's going to cost you to deliver, then you've probably got a profitable business idea. So, I, for example, on the Silver and Wise business, I had 10,000 surveys, but I backed that up with 250 one-to-one conversations with mature-age people who were looking at starting a business. So
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> you can't skimp on this. And it, it's a bit like painting a wall. 90% of it's in the preparation and 10% doing the painting. You've got to do the same thing. And I think that's the hardest part is people knowing that they have to do that much because they get, they get impatient to start. They get impatient to build their website or lease out their office or buy their car or come up with the logo or whatever. And all these things are just irrelevant. The most important thing is... Will someone buy your product?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of people get caught up on things like, oh, I'm a mature person. What do I know about technology? Well, let me tell you, my mum knows more than most about technology and she's in her 80s. So people get caught up on these things and, you know, I don't know that. So I'll skip over that bit and I'll just focus over here on what I do know, you know, and this is probably true without wanting to make generalizations but tradies often are you know experts in their trade but they're not experts at running their business and so you know they're shoving their receipts for things in a in a box they probably haven't properly priced their products and yeah. services yeah. and all of that and you know and they they're looking at it 12 or 24 months after they've done the work for somebody and going well you know I've got a, a tax problem or you know I haven't I haven't got enough you know there, there was no profit in that yeah exactly so, you know, yeah. the planning is just vitally important. and Totally. You just can't skimp on it. Although I'm, I'm amazed that the 10,000 was, the, you know, that number. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's a lot of surveys.
1: <laughs> it is. And by the way, that's a, a decade of asking people the same questions and the, right. answers, the answers didn't change. So I knew I was also on a good thing to know that there was some stability in the challenges that businesses had. Mm. It comes down to marketing, cash flow. Strategy, sales—you know—it's the stuff we, we kind of intuitively think. But once you've asked that many people the question, you kind of really know that that actually is the thing that they they're going to run into. So, yeah. So, um,
0: how would you suggest that a, a you know a smaller a startup business you know gets access to that sort of information? Most small businesses or startups probably wouldn't have access to ten thousand people to ask. Is there some research house or some way they can? connect with people to help them do that research?
1: Look, there, there are some tools you can use for sure, but for me, nothing beats the conversation and the coffee or whatever. So what most small business owners that are thinking of starting a business have is they don't have time, they don't have money, but they probably have time. Right. So, so my suggestion would be, let's, let's take a, a theoretical example, okay? So <clears throat> let's say you're a mature age person who's, who's studied physiotherapy for example, and you decide that after years of working for somebody else's practice, you want to go and run your own physiotherapy practice. Um, And let's just say, for example, that you've decided you're going to deal with mature-age people that are recovering from an injury. So you know you want to deliver physiotherapy to 50-year-olds? Well, Mm -hmm. just go and find some 50-year-olds who've got an injury and talk to them. It's as simple as that. And if you can't find them, ask your friends to find them. Mm -hmm. And if you still can't find them, go to the local Rotary Club. Like, really think through, where is my audience? The same goes if you were making cupcakes for school kids. Just where are they? Well, they're at schools. Okay, so can you go to a school and say, can we do a survey with your, with your parents? You just got to really think about who is going to be my audience? Mm-hmm. How can I find them and go and talk to them? Now, of course, there's tools like SurveyMonkey, which is an online survey tool. Mm-hmm. They actually have a database of people of all different ages and different demographics, and you can buy a research Answer. So you can say, "Well, I want a thousand fifty-year-olds," and they will recruit those fifty-year-olds, and they will. You load your survey onto the Survey Monkey, and they will deliver you the results. But that might cost you five or ten thousand dollars to do it. Hence. I prefer the old clipboard and a few questions.
0: <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and buy someone a coffee. coffee.
1: <laughs> buy a few coffees, fine. It, it, but that's and that's still, still the way I do it, even though I've been in business for 20 years. If I need to survey some people, I just find that audience and I have a bit of a think about where I might find them mm. and I go and talk to them.
0: Brilliant. Mm. Thanks. The great advice. So what's your best advice for people who started a business in the past six months and are now weathering this storm?
1: Okay. So, again, there's the short-term cope. So... Take advantage of anything that the government's going to help you with in terms of uh, whether it's a sole trader, job keeper. If you can get for, get your fifteen hundred bucks a fortnight or whatever they're going to do, I'm not an expert on that, but basically, <laughs> speak to your financial planner your accountant and sort <laughs> that out. <laughs> so, you know, got to got to handle the short term cope, of course, of course. I would suggest that if there's anything that's that's unnecessary in the business that they're spending money on, so software as a service stuff anything other than their zero, maybe or their MYOB or QuickBooks, everything else that they're not absolutely needing to use, just stop. Get rid of it. Get, just get rid of Get the cost down to an absolute minimum. I've been running a business for 20 years and I've spent the last month going through our entire p of what we spend money on and I've cut out like $1,200 a month worth of expenses. Absolutely critical. The most important thing I have to say though is don't make the virus the game. The game isn't the virus. Yeah. If you started a business and you had this passion for something you could deliver to people, just hold true to what you were trying to do with that business and find a way of finding those customers and delivering. And if the customers have gone away, then just hibernate your business until they come back again because there's no. sometimes there is no answer. There is no way to get a customer. Yes. if you, if, you're, if you're in a business that's been shut down
0: mm. and
1: you can't actually... Access the customer, you can't, you're not allowed to service them. Well, okay, that's it. If you're a cafe and you've moved to takeaway, fine, you've got an avenue. If you're a consultant and you can deliver over Zoom, well, okay, you've got an avenue. But really, just don't make the virus the game. Yeah. There's so many business owners at the moment who are, they're into every communication they send out starts out with two or three paragraphs on the virus. That's not what I want to hear.
0: No, I've I had that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I want to hear is what business you're in, what are you offering? What's your value? And focus on that because, boy, oh, boy, this is a short-term issue. Yeah. We're, we're not in the game of talking about... I know you have to have certain things like we're open and we're taking all precautions, of course. That's a OH&S message. But just don't make that the game. Keep, keep your hope into what you decided to start and keep going with it because if there was value before the virus, there would be value after the virus.
0: Yes. So... Hopefully they had a nice emergency buffer there, part of their forward planning and that they're going to be okay. But if not, take advantage or, you know, utilise what the government is offering because, you know, that's what we're paying our taxes for basically to, you know, to get them to help us out. Yeah, totally. What's one mistake that you see people making over and over when it comes to startups, and how can they avoid it? (laughs) <laughs> I think you possibly already answered it if don't do enough planning. <laughs>
1: Listen, I'll use this word assumption. Hmm. Um, too many businesses make assumption about what people need and want. And if you're operating on what you think people need and want, you're going to get a nasty surprise at some point. So just ask the questions, um, do the research. Even if you don't write the marketing plan down, if you have a conversation with 50 people who are your target audience, you're probably going to be pretty well... Sorted in terms of understanding what people are need and want, what they like, what they dislike. And also, interestingly enough, this is a really important one, is, is how do they make the decision to buy that type of product or service? So if someone's buying a house, they'd have a very different approach to the research that they take to buy a house than they would if they're going to buy a coffee. Mm-hmm. So you can't just make the assumption that they're sitting on Facebook scrolling through the, the ads looking for somebody who, I don't know, sells left-handed rulers or something mm-hmm. and just decide that because Facebook told you that you should be on Facebook, that, that that's the way you market your business. You don't do that. The way you market your business is by researching customers and understanding how they make the decision. If they're not on Facebook making a decision about your product, don't advertise on Facebook.
0: Go, go to LinkedIn. Find go, where, where your people are.
1: They, they might be down in the local soccer field. They yes. they might not even be online.
0: Yes. They they yes.
1: may the only way they make a decision on products might be asking their mates. So therefore, you've got to find a way of marketing to their mates. Do you know what I mean?
0: Sponsor yes. so the local soccer yes. club or something. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And look, we've run programs like that. We ran a program for a real estate agency in Melbourne that was using letterbox Drops as their marketing tool. It wasn't working for them. So we connected them up to 10 uh, local football clubs and some local bowling clubs. And I kid you not, one of those bowling clubs delivered half a million dollars worth of revenue to them in a year. Wow. Mm. It was just, just, it's finding the way people make decisions or, or some way of standing out from from the rest of the businesses in your particular market. Mm. Um, And there are those really nice sweet spots of marketing and they aren't always online.
0: And that's true. And the other thing that comes into my mind is finding the businesses that already exist that working with your particular audience, for example, and trying to partner with them because there's no crossover on products or services.
1: Totally. Partnerships are absolutely a beautiful way to to operate. And they don't have to involve, you know, transferring a referral fee back and forth. It can be two people that have the same client with the same interests in mind for that client and you can work together to promote them. Sure.
0: Certainly that's what I do in my business. I mean, um, it's really important that I have people I know, like and trust, that I can refer my clients to and I know that they will absolutely get the services that they need so developing relationships as a financial advisor with legal companies and accounting practices and mortgage brokers and a whole raft of people is just really important so that you can direct people and you know give them give them a leg up and you know that's the same sort of thing i i don't take any referral fees i don't expect any referrals back but if I know that those people are you know have similar values to my own and get the job done that people aren't sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for years for you know their tax return to be done or whatever then you know that's definitely the way to go so partnerships is you know just critical to so many businesses and particularly trying to develop those early on.
1: Yeah, for sure, totally. Yeah.
0: So, what are three common questions that you're getting asked right now?
1: There's the "what should I do" bit, (laughs) of course. It's come back to the same thing as, um,
0: which is why we're here having a chat. Of course,
1: (laughs) coping with the short term. Of course, Um, there are a lot of people asking about whether they should pivot. This word "pivot," I think it's probably going to be second only to coronavirus in terms of Google ad Google words that are searched. But I'm not really sure whether some businesses should be going, oh, suddenly I've got to pivot because pivoting a business is exactly the same as starting a new business. You still have to do all the research and the planning and get it right. Of course, there are things we all know people want to buy right now. They all want to buy face masks, so they all want to buy toilet paper and they all want to buy hand sanitizer. So one of, one of our friends, which I think is probably the best pivot I've seen, they've gone from running a nail and brow and lashes business, very, very successful, 20 locations around Australia and New Zealand. Of course, they were shut down. They can't <laughs> deliver that because right? it's not an essential service. There's a lot of women that would disagree probably. But
0: <laughs> I'm with yeah.
1: them. <laughs> yeah. But they've gone from a brow and lashes business to running a decontamination and hand sanitizer business in about four weeks flat.
0: Wow. So
1: (laughs) what they did is they got hold of this incredible decontamination procedure, which was used, I think it came out of the military or handling big biosecurity threats overseas. They found an Australian supplier for it. They had trained up their team on how to deliver that. Um, And now they're promoting that to fixing, helping businesses decontaminate their, their shops, their businesses. Part of that same business model was they actually have access to a supply of hand sanitizer, which is as good as... You know anything you'd buy on the shelves, so they've got a supply of hand sanitizer. So they've they've they have pivoted their business because they went from very successful to zero income overnight. So they had to do something. Yes, but there's other businesses which pivoting would be probably the worst thing they can do because now their attention's on the virus and it's on the attention of short-term survival. You may as well use the government support for short-term survival, mm. and just think about: Do you want to be in the hand sanitizer and face mask business for the long term? I don't know. It'd be a bit like a, it'd be a bit like if you remember probably when I was a kid. Every three or four months ago, uh, three or four months or so, yo- uh, yo-yos would come out and they'd be sold, oh, and, oh. and it was a fad, and everyone was playing with yo-yos for two or three months, and then no one was playing with yo-yos because we all got bored of them.
0: Till it came um, around the next cycle. Yeah, exactly.
1: So some things are fads, and you just got to be careful that you're not going into a fad, which is again running a business to try and solve a viral problem which is only going to be three or four months in the making and then all of a sudden you're going to go back to what you were doing before so before you pivot is just really think about is that the best survival strategy for me or am I better just to take the government handouts and then bring my business back online when I when I'm ready to go
0: and I think you're right about that pivot to me makes it sound like it's something quick and, you know, not necessarily taking not. tools and making a well-considered, informed decision about the future of your business and what you actually want. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. for me, I, I I think, you know, anything like that has to be well-considered, as you've said. So
1: Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah.
0: So, can you talk to the successes of some of your mature clients building their businesses and future and give us maybe a case study and, how you know, what impact that's had on their lives?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, look, I actually think I might use one of my advisors. So, so the way I've set Silver and Wise up is a licensed uh, model, which means that basically the, there's, no, there's no franchise fee or whatever. We just, our advisors and I, just, we just share revenue. So they, they get the opportunity to deliver our intellectual property, which is they've got the books, the online courses, and our whole boot camp of teaching them how to consult. Mm-hmm. And then they run their clients, they own their clients, and we provide support. So I, I coach the coach, if you like. But one of the one of the guys in particular stands out. Chris is—he um, was—I've uh, known him for many years, and he reached out and said, "I'd like to be involved with Silver and Wise. How can we make that happen?" So he was the first guy to come on board as an advisor. Now, I'll give you the backstory. Ageism, absolutely. He was early sixties, mm-hmm. forty years experience in high-level CEO positions, chief marketing officer for an organization been all over the world. He's got one of the smartest business brains I've ever seen. Could not get a job. Could not get a job. And so we started talking. He became a licensed advisor. He's now generating a six-figure income out of his advisory business. Um, he's now in his late 60s. He's doing really well. He, he's also take on the taken on the role of chairman of my business. And he's just fundamentally followed the same strategy for his own business is what he now coaches others with which is our eight steps to success so uh, for me he's in his late 60s but he his mum's 92 or something and still going she completed a phd in her 80s or something so <laughs> i, I reckon those stories <laughs> i reckon he's got a bit a bit of life left in him yeah. um and he's an amazingly valuable part of not only my organization as a customer of mine so you know obviously he's a customer being part of my licensed network but he's added so much value to the business as a whole and to our purpose of ending ageism that it's just unbelievable so and and he's also doing okay financially as a result so uh, i think that's just a a nice case study to share of somebody who's part of our our group is also doing well in business and he's probably helped a couple of hundred businesses business owners in the last few years as well. So yeah.
0: And and he's probably feeling much fitter and healthier because he's leading a productive life.
1: Totally. Yeah. And and I couldn't understand why somebody wouldn't give him a job. I mean yeah. when you when you listen to this guy, you, you just understand that he he's experienced pretty much everything you could possibly experience in small, medium and large business. He understands strategy, he understands marketing. His mind is as sharp as it was probably when he was in his thirties and forties and probably added to that the wealth of experience and wisdom which has sort of polished it off. <laughs> he just makes a complete package from my perspective, and yet he's got silver hair, so he's not—he's not, <laughs> not going to get a job, which is nutty. It's just—it's
0: just crazy. Yeah. Um, so, what's your view on the importance of giving back to the community? And you know, does it have to be costly?
1: No, it doesn't have to be costly. Um, my view, though, is that every business owner is part of a community, so therefore they should acknowledge the fact that they don't exist in isolation. Mm. Um, they employ people that live in the community. They operate in a community. They have an office in a community. Um, they sell products and services into a community. They probably get suppliers to deliver products and services from that community. So it's for me, that it's sort of contingent on being a business owner is that you have to give back somehow. Mm. Of course, you're doing that already by employing people, but if you can also connect some kind of, community giving to your business model Um, it doesn't have to be costly at all so for example in our marketing business when we onboard a new client we protect 10 square meters of the Daintree rainforest so this is going back to my business my science roots um, and environmental science Uh, Daintree rainforest one of the oldest ecosystems on the planet and there's a group up there that's trying to basically ring fence the national park with with other protected properties that they can then. A replant with rainforest. So they're, they're trying to do a good thing by the, by the environment. And for me, that does, it doesn't cost it costs maybe $50 or something for every new client that we onboard. So it's not expensive, mm. but for me, it makes an impact on that part of something that I'm interested in. So mm. if I was a business owner, I'd be finding out what I'm interested in in the community, whether it's fresh water or education for young girls or helping mature age people or whatever, and just try and find a way of embedding, embedding it as part of your business model.
0: So that's embedded into my business too. But yes. um every new client that I onboard, I give money to Aboriginal communities and children in the Northern Territory for financial awesome. and computer literacy.
1: Fantastic. And those
0: things are just incredibly important to me and helps uh, you know, it's funny that I'm talking about this because they're isolated <laughs> by <distance>. yes, sure. <laughs> and we're sitting here talking about, you know, how how we're feeling a bit isolated right now and how we can overcome that. So um, yeah. that's how I do it. And and as you say, it doesn't have to be costly. And, uh, you know, I think it, it actually makes me feel pretty good about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we that's who we should, we should be asking about social isolation because the Indigenous uh, culture of Australia was isolated from the rest of the world for about 30,000 years. So they're probably <laughs> looking at us going, harden up, princess. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: that's exactly right. A
1: couple of weeks, get on with it. <laughs>
0: Oh, and and I, you know, I was watching something on the TV, I I had to turn off the TV, I only allow myself 30 minutes a day at the present time, there's just too much about this COVID to bring you down Mm -hmm. mentally. But uh, I was watching something and they were talking about the risk to the Aboriginal community because of the virus, you know, that you know, people there already live to a much short, have a much shorter lifespan, sure. and you know, introducing that virus into the community could be really dangerous. So, mm. you know, I, I feel pretty good about giving back to communities where I can, and um, you know, that's yeah. one that's important to me. But that's you're nice. right. Find we'll what about. you're interested in. Find what you love. So you've talked more, um, uh, you know, we've learned a lot more about you today, Hunter, and the amazing work that you're doing and your businesses. It's left me curious as to what you believe your purpose is in life.
1: Look, that's a really good question. Um, And while I don't have a form of words for it, I think it's something around prosperity of business owners. Business owners happen to be one of my favourite creatures on the planet, if you like. (laughs) As an environmental scientist, I'm quite intrigued by the role that business owners play because they they kind of have to be a little bit nutty or crazy, I think, to take responsibility for a business. Mm. They tend to, if you take the average business in Australia, they're employing maybe three or four people as an, as an average. So they're taking responsibility for the three or four other humans and their families. Um, so I kind of I have a fairly deep affection for people that are a little bit nutty <laughs> and crazy and willing to take on that responsibility. Um, so it's something around just contributing to them being prosperous. Because if I can contribute to them being prosperous, for every one that I help, it's helping three or four other people. If you know what I mean, So, yeah, so it's, it's kind a of nice, handy, You've got nice handy multiplier. Yes,
0: handy. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure.
0: So, what are three things our listeners can do right now, today, to get ready um, to invest or you know start a business or do whatever they need to do when the when the time's right?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so
0: plan. Is there anything else? Totally.
1: If they've got, if they don't have an idea yet, obviously coming up with an idea that matches mm-hmm. um, their own passions and skills there's a really nice japanese philosophy called ikigai which is four circles and if they look it up it's i-k-i-g-a-i and it's four circles in joined together and in the center is purpose so it basically is what you can do what you have skills in what the world needs what you can get paid for and what you enjoy it's so yes. sort of what gets you started so I would say that if anyone's going to start a business first of all they have to understand if that's going to actually give them something other than money because if you're going to be crazy enough to do it it has to give you something back that that isn't the financial side. So so definitely do that. Um, be sure you're ready. So we actually have a 10 question survey which I might send to you which is Yes, that would be great. it's called the business readiness questionnaire. And the idea is that if you can answer yes to 10 of those questions, then you're probably ready to start a business. Mm-hmm. If you can't answer yes to say seven of them at least, then you probably have some more work to do before you start a business and, and to, to be successful. So it's kind of like a, a quick way of saying, am I actually ready to start a business or do, do I need to go and do some more work <laughs> before <laughs> I do? Yeah. And look, the, the other thing is just think long term, like w- what is the purpose of the business? If it has a purpose and it has something value to to deliver to somebody, then it's likely to be sustainable. If it has no purpose and it has no value, then you'll just end up fighting the price game, which is how cheap can you get it out there. And if you're a small business, you can't be cheap. Big business can be cheap because they've got volume and economies of scale and all those sort of things. But if you're a small business and trying to be cheap... that's just going to... It's
0: a loser's game, isn't it? It
1: is. I don't
0: like that language, but, yeah,
1: it's... No. A... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, it's going to make life hard mm. because doing something cheap naturally means you're probably going to make less profit, which just means you've got to do more of it in order to make the money you need for your income. So if you're charging 10 bucks for something and instead you try and charge $5 for it, then you're probably going to have to sell three or four times as much to make the same amount of profit. Mm-hmm. So for me, small business has got to be about premium and high value.
0: Great. So where can we find you online? And do you have any go-to resources? You've already mentioned your survey, which I'd love to see. And so would my listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll send that to you. Look, at the moment, this, this, I mentioned this earlier in the discussion, what we've done as a help flow to other business, people that are starting a business, but also those that run businesses now, is I've made all of my books that I've written available for free if they, if they come and ask me. So instead of going on Amazon and buying it or whatever, they can just come to me and I will send them the files. So If somebody just wants to email me at hunter at silverandwires.com.au, I will give them, I will just send them electronic copies of my books. And I've also got three online courses, which are normally $125 each. I'm just making them available free too, because I think it's just a way that people can access some of our our IP and our knowledge of of how to do their marketing plans and how to do their business plans. Um, So I'm happy to make them available to your listeners as well if they want to. Send me a note. Maybe you can put that in the show notes or something. But, yeah, just send me a note and we'll enrol them. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Hunter. Is there anything else we should know before we sign off?
1: Oh, look, just wishing everyone the best. You know, it is, it, there's no doubt that despite me being a little bit flippant about the short term, it is going to be painful and it's going to be tough. But I think most Aussies from whatever culture or otherwise that they come from, are tough and resilient. So I'll just say good luck to everyone to get through the short term and um, plan for the future.
0: Thank you again. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you today and, and learning from you, Hunter. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or Email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.